This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Would you join me as we pray together? Lord, on this 4th of July weekend, we are so thankful. Thankful for the gift that you've given us to live in such a beautiful place where we have the freedom to experience you. Thankful for the women and men who serve so courageously to protect those freedoms. And even in the midst of our thankfulness, Lord, we look around our country, we look around this world at tragedies like the ones that happened in Orlando, at tragedies even yesterday like the bombing and the murder of 120 people in Baghdad. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that just as we experience your freedom here, that others would experience your freedom, your joy, and your purpose. God, would you continue to work powerfully in us individually, in us in the community, and in us in this world as we seek to follow you. Lord, we are thankful. And even in the midst of the ups and downs of life, it is well with our soul because we know that you are with us, guiding and leading and partnering. And so we say thank you, God. We're ready to encounter you as we continue this morning. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. Hey, thank you. Man, it's good to be with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors, and I'll be guiding us for the rest of our time together this morning. And I would love to talk to you after service. So if we haven't met after service, as you make your way out, there's Guest Central. You can grab one of those guest gifts. If you're a guest with us today, we have a little something for you out there at Guest Central. And I'll be hanging out in that general area. I would just love to say hi. Love to hear your story, what brought you to new life, hear how the experience was for you. So go ahead and grab me uh, when you come out. Hey, we're launching a brand new series today, and it's going to be a ton of fun. And I want to give you uh, some tools to help you as we continue to encounter God today. And they're found inside this program. So go ahead and, and grab your program and grab this Start Here card. This is just a great way for you to have full access to our pastoral team so we can pray for you, so we can partner with you in any way that we can. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and put your name on this and your email address if you're a guest with us today. And then later, if I've earned your trust, we're going to pass some baskets. I'll just ask you to drop this in the basket when it's passed. So go ahead and get that ready. And then you're going to want to grab our teaching notes. They've got the Bible story we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks and just some ways for us to continue to press into this topic uh, as we go through our time. Well, have you ever noticed that over time things change? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that our recollection of experiences change? If you don't believe me, just go to your 20-year high school reunion and find the football team. Okay, they'll, they'll tell you that their stories about how football really was and your recollection of football, they're miles apart. Have you ever noticed that our bodies tend to change over time? Guys, I don't know about you, but... but my hair is starting to migrate south for the winter of my life. Like, I I don't know. Things just change over time. Have you ever noticed that stories tend to change over time? Someone will say something, and it seems very clear in this moment, but as time goes on, it just kind of changes. And I want to prove this point. So I'm going to try something I've never done before, and it's going to take some of you to help me out. Now, if this goes horribly wrong, Here's what this means. It means that our message will be done right now because my whole theory is, uh, is, is about this point. So here's what I need. I need you to help me. And if you want to get out of here, get on stage uh, to get this right. 
so that I'm wrong and you can go home and shoot off fireworks. I need like seven to 10 people to come up on stage and be with me up here. Seven to 10. You can raise your hand or you can just come up. And don't everybody jump at once, okay? I know what you're thinking. It's like Walmart on Black Friday. Don't everybody charge me at once, but I need some of you. Good. One, two, excellent. Three, four, five, six, seven. Come on, somebody over here in the side. Come on. Eight. Thank you. Andrew, perfect. Come on up. Nine. Uh, Angela, come on up. You laughed at Andrew. Come join me. That's great. Perfect. Ten. And there's our team. That's what, that's what happens. That's what happens. All right. Because I called, because I called on the two of you, I'm going to put Andrew, I'm going to put you right here. Excellent. All right. We're going to play a game. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's fine. We're going to play a game of telephone on stage right now. Do you remember telephone when you were a kid? Here's the way telephone works. If, if you've never played this game before. With a game of telephone, we have one person on this side, and they're going to get a sentence to read, and they're going to whisper it into the ear of the person next to them. This is how we all make friends. Whisper it into the ear of the person next to them, who will then whisper it to the person next to them, and then all the way down. And then our friend Andrew over here, give it up for Andrew, <laughs> is just going to share with us what he heard at the end. Okay? Got it? Excellent. Excellent. Okay, now you have to whisper quietly for this game to work. And remember, we need to give them complete silence so that they can get this right. Okay, don't read it out loud. Just read it. Here, you can hold it. You can hold it. It's a long sentence. It's a long sentence. <laughs> and you can just whisper it into his ear. You can even read it into his ear. That's fine. We'll start off. Start off right. No listening. No listening. No cheating. There's a few of these guys I know I have to watch up here. So... Okay. I, yeah, I did say it. Yeah. All right. Hey, while they're doing that, I want to remind you guys, our student ministries has their fireworks booth happening <laughs> over in the shopping center by Target, by Home Goods. Go buy your fireworks there. If you're going to blow stuff up anyway, blow stuff up and sponsor our children to go to camp. So that's for you. Okay, good. Excellent. Okay. All right, we're getting there. <laughs> your face is not overly encouraging for your side. Okay. That's all right. Uh, roughly. I mean, it's a sentence. Can I have my sentence back? Perfect. Thank you. It'll be up there in a minute. Good. Chris, I like that shirt, man. That's really nice. Yeah. That's, that's, I don't think it's going to help them. I don't think it's going to help them. So here's what's going to happen. Either (laughs) 
either he's going to get it somewhat right or he's just going to totally mess with me and I don't know which one it is. All right, Andrew, what's the sentence? Rabbits rumble, bunnies, or dogs bark in the park, and bunnies bounce. Let's check our sentences up on the screen. Rabbits rumble, giants grumble, dogs bark in the dark, and wolves woo in the blue. Now, you were close. You were close. Hey, let's give it up for our team. Can we thank them for being up here? No, no, that did not make any sense. And it made even less sense when you guys said it at the end. You did great. They did great, didn't they? They did great. They did great. We're launching a brand new series today called God Never Said That. God Never Said That. And when you think about the reality that we come here each week and we base our lives, our marriages, our family, our finance, our, our vision for what the world could be, and even our eternities on the things that God said. Isn't it important that we know what God actually said? Because the truth is, just like in our game of telephone, over time, as grandparents relay stories of what God says to your parents, as your parents relay them to you, as we hop on Google and see what the Bible really says, as uh, you hop on Facebook and see a, a really great like picture background with with something that God said on it, or a billboard. Over time, the messages can be changed and translated a little bit. Sometimes those messages are relatively benign. For example, God never said cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, it's a benign thing. It's actually a good idea. And those of you parents are thinking, that's great. If you're single, cleanliness will help you get a date. So that's a good thing right? Your neighbor appreciates cleanliness, but cleanliness actually won't get you any closer to God than not being clean. God never said that. Sometimes it's benign, but sometimes, sometimes it can be potentially destructive. How many of you heard this one? God helps those who help themselves. When we press into that a little bit, it leads us with the illusion that, that it's all about getting mine having it. God helps me when I help myself. It gives us the assumption that it's all for our consumption. And then we look around the world and we see people who are hurting, who are living in extreme poverty, who have no clean drinking water. And we think to ourselves, well, if God helps those who help themselves, then they need to help themselves. And it, it turns our worldview in. See, this is what happens when we believe that God said things that God never actually said. My wife was gone for the last four days. She was traveling to the Midwest, and I had our kids. And one of the things that they asked me pretty much every day was, Dad, can we have movie night tonight? And here's what I said to them every time. Maybe, maybe. And then I followed up with, what does maybe mean? And they said, maybe means that we might do it and we might not. But here's the truth. By the time 5 o'clock rolled around, I was exhausted Okay? I needed to make meals. I needed to get lunches ready for the next day. And I'm telling you, maybe by the time five o'clock rolled around, always meant yes. Until the one time it didn't. The one time that maybe actually meant no, it left my kids confused. 
It left them hurt. It left them frustrated. They, they felt bamboozled. They felt hoodwinked. They felt like, wait a minute, you've been telling me maybe, and maybe has meant yes, but now you're telling me maybe, and maybe means no? See, this is the danger of believing that God promises things or says things that God never actually says. If we're banking and betting our lives on the fact that God made a specific promise to us, and then that promise doesn't come to pass because God never actually promised it, it leaves us feeling disillusioned with God, frustrated. It leaves us swinging the pendulum from, I must not have enough faith, I must not be good enough for God to do that thing for me, or God must be a liar. And neither one is necessarily true. It could be that we're believing a promise, believing a thing that God never actually said. And so in this series, what we're going to do for the next eight weeks to walk us through the rest of our summer is we're going to look at eight things that over the course of generations, we've come to believe as a culture, God must have said that, that God never actually said. And then we'll examine the Bible to see what God actually says about those things. We just finished up our series called The Invisible War. And we said that there is a very real enemy, not just to God, but an enemy to you and to me. And one of his main tactics is lying to us. So what I wanted to do to follow up that series is talk for the next couple months about some truths that we have and some ways that the enemy has just slightly turned that truth and made it into a lie and left us believing things that aren't necessarily true. Because boy, if we believe something with everything in us about God and it doesn't hold up, it leaves us questioning everything. And I've seen people disillusioned, hurt, frustrated, oftentimes by the church, but equally as much by God, and walk away from God because they believe God didn't come through on what God said he'd come through on. And the truth is God never said that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to channel my inner Pastor Ron right now. Um, Pastor Ron loves woodworking. And uh, there's this old woodworking adage that, uh, that goes something like this. Measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut once. Here's what it means. You want to measure something before you cut it, because if you cut it too short, it does not matter how many more times you cut it, it will never be long enough again. So in woodworking, it makes sense that we would measure twice and cut once. And this is an important concept that we see when it comes to understanding what God actually said. That we want to seek the Bible. We want to understand what he said. We want to measure twice. We want to really look into it before we actually live our lives based on something. And it was such an important idea that Paul, who was one of the main guys in the, in the church, in the New Testament church, after Jesus left, this guy Paul gave his life to God. He went around the ancient world and he was planting churches all over the place. And he thought this was so important that he actually commends a group of people for this theory, for this idea, measure twice, cut once. And here's the story of how this goes. And it's found in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is really interesting because it's a biography of Paul's journey as he was planning all these churches. It's written by a different guy, a guy named Luke. And he, he was like the biographer of Paul. And I thought that would be so cool, wouldn't it? Just to have someone walking around like as your personal biographer. I was thinking if any of you were like looking for just some extra work for free, like some extra work you'd like to do for free, how fun to like have someone follow me around for a day. And whenever I say something, just be like, hey, that's pretty good. I like that. Because I think that all the time, and then I forget it. Anyway, some of you are thinking, no, I don't want someone following me around all day. I think that'd be fantastic. I really do. So Luke follows Paul around, and he, he does a biography of Paul's journey. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 17 as he's, as he's walking with Paul. 
He says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. I want you to underline or highlight or put an emoticon next to this next portion. It says the Berean Jews, underline starting with the Berean Jews, were more noble or of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Underline that, highlight it, get it on your device. We're going to be talking about that in a minute. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Here's why they had such noble character. They received the message with great eagerness. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was actually true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So Paul's going around the ancient world. He's planning these churches. He's not only teaching the Old Testament of the Bible, which is what they call the scriptures, the Old Testament of the Bible. He's also in the process of writing much of the New Testament of the Bible. And he gets to this place called Berea where he's telling them about God. And what do they do? They fact check him. Think about that. If you're Paul, if you're literally in the process of writing what came to be the majority of our New Testament of the Bible, and a group of people who are brand new Christians start fact checking you, wouldn't you be a little frustrated with them? You think, who are you to question me? But that's the exact opposite of what Paul does. Paul praises them. Why? Because they sought truth. They looked for truth. They checked to make sure what they heard was actually true. And as a result of that, their seeking after truth led them to Jesus. And isn't that what we really want for ourselves, for our kids, for our neighbors? for the places that we work, as we seek truth, it ultimately will lead us to God himself in the form of Jesus Christ. And I would love for our church to be known in the same way that the Bereans were known. As a church that, that measures twice and cut once, cuts once, I would love it if someday God said to us, the new lifers were of such noble character because they searched the scripture to understand who God was. And so I was thinking, if we want to be like the Bereans, we need to figure out how to get our Berean on. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is talk about three ways that we can get our Berean on, because it's super important. That's so good. It's super important that we now write that down. Where's my biographer? It's in your notes. Get my Berean on. Love it. Three ways we can do it. The first is this. The Bereans, they entered their journey, and we can enter our journey searching for truth with humility. Notice what verse 11 says. If you, if you go back to your text in your notes, it says they received the message with eagerness. It means that they were humble. They were excited. They didn't have a know-it-all attitude. They didn't have 100% certainty. And so they sought the scripture with a humility and an eagerness. I remember being in my early 20s and going to a pastor's conference, and this pastor who was probably in his mid-40s at the time, he stood up in front of all of us, and here's what he said. He said, about 99.9% .9 of things in my life. He said, this is the best I can ever say. I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. And in my early 20s, here's what I thought to myself. That must be tough to be you, right? Because come on, you remember being in your early 20s. We thought, I'm definitely right, and you're probably wrong. But he said, I'm, I'm probably right. That's the best I can say. I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. And as I've grown and as I've matured and as I've learned how much I do not know, that's become one of my favorite sentences. And I would encourage you to memorize that. Write it down and memorize it. The best I can say is I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. 
It keeps us spiritually curious. It keeps us from spiritual superiority. It keeps us hungry for more. And I'm telling you, that won't just serve us as we seek after truth as a church. It will serve you in your marriage. It'll serve you in your friendships. It'll serve you in parenting. It'll serve us as we, as we go into the workplace, in our life groups, and our ministry teams, to have that attitude that says, I'm probably right. I've looked at this. I've searched it. I've tried it. It's working for me. I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. I remember hearing a pastor once who said, before I had kids, I'd teach parenting sermons, and the series would go something like this, 10 steps to guarantee great children. And then I had, I had babies, and it was like five ideas to ensure your kids turn out well. And then my kids turned into teenagers, and it was like, good luck, God. You know, it's like, I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. If we want to get our bury on, we got to enter this journey with humility as we seek after truth. The second thing we can do is enter the journey for truth by understanding what the entire Bible says on any given topic. Did you know that one of the most divisive things among Christians and among churches is a Bible verse? Think about this. If you have any any church history understanding, or if you were raised in the church, you know that there are various denominations. Under the umbrella of Christian, there are Catholic Christians and Protestant Christians. And then under the Protestant umbrella, there are all sorts of denominations and non-denominational churches. Do you wonder how those churches all split? How those denominations started? Here's how they started, with a Bible verse. With a Bible verse. We're told that the Bible is, is the sword of truth, that it's sharper than any two-edged blade, and it cuts it cuts to the heart of who we are. That's what the Bible is. But anytime we pull one verse and make this our verse or my pet verse, we take that sword of truth and we turn it into a prison shank. We really do. And I've got my, if you know what a prison shank is, it's like a, it's like a knife. I've never actually experienced that, but I'm told. And here's what Christians do. We take our little verse or our two verses or our three verses and we go up to the next Christian. We like, we get them with our verse and then they get us and we're, we're shaking. It's tragic. It's tragic. But the Bereans didn't do that. Notice what the Bereans did. It says they searched the scriptures. That's a reference to the entire Old Testament of the Bible. They searched the entirety of the scriptures to see if what Paul was telling them was true. They didn't take one verse and make this their proof text verse for their idea or their thing or their platform they were going to stand on. They searched the entirety of the scriptures to understand God's heart on the topic. And if we want to seek truth in a way that is humble and actually leads us to God, we need to look at the entire Bible. God gave us 66 letters in the Bible to reveal his heart to us. So whatever the topic is, the best way to go about it is to say, well, what does God say in the entire Bible? Not in this one verse or this one verse, but in the entire Bible to give me his heart on the topic. And you might be wondering, how do I do that? Well, if you've got an electronic Bible, you would just do a keyword search for whatever that topic is. And then you would just start to search through all of the scriptures. If you're kicking it old school, if you've got a paper Bible, go to the back. There's a concordance. You can look at it, find the thing you're looking for, and you can search the Bible. Write that down. Concordance, keyword search. Write that down in your notes. That's how you would search the scriptures to find out. And here's a little trick that I've learned. If you search the entire Bible on a topic and you're still confused the best thing you can do is look at Jesus. 
because we're told that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he came to reveal God to us, to reveal God's heart to us. So if you search through the whole thing and you're thinking, I'm still totally confused as to what God says about this topic, go to the biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just look at Jesus' character, his nature, his heart, the way he interacts with people, and that will give you God's heart on the topic. The third thing is this. They entered their journey for truth in community. I love what the, what the passage tells us. It says, they received the message with eagerness. It says, they searched the Bible. It says, they came to believe that Jesus really was the Son of God. Do you notice all the they's in there? It wasn't when he searched the Bible, she had humility. It was a community seeking God together. As I look at um, kind of the religious landscape over history, I found a startling trend. Did you know that almost without exception, every major cult that's ever started has one thing in common? And the one thing that all major cults have in common is this. It starts with one person. One person. God spoke to one person. One person went in and came out with a message from God that took an entire group of people in a destructive way. That's the great thing about community. It keeps us from, we have all sorts of thoughts in our minds. We have all sorts of voices sometimes in our heads, and it's hard to know, is that God speaking to me, or is that, is that the jalapenos I had with dinner last night? I mean, what is it? And when it's just me out here, it's like, oh no. But when we search in community, it protects us. It protects us, and it keeps us walking in the right direction. That's why God gave us the church. Did you know that? He gave us the church to be a gathering, a community of people. That's why it's a gift. Sunday morning is a gift to you. It's not something God expects from us. It's a gift to us. Come together. Be a church. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Worship together. Learn together. I could not say something on Sunday that will lead us all astray because there are too many of us here for us to do that. And in the collection of us, God leads us to truth together. That's why church is a gift. That's why ministry teams are a gift to us. In the context of serving together, we're getting to know each other. We're getting to experience life together, and we're seeking truth together. That's why life groups are a gift to us. If if you're wondering, I had someone ask me recently, you've been talking about life groups. I'm new to the church. What are life groups? Life groups are just small group gatherings of people that meet at various times throughout the year, and we have two main focuses. One, we want to form community. We want to actually show up and be seen by each other because we find that we live in a world that while there's so much social media sharing the highlight reel of your life, there are very few people who actually know us and accept us right where we are. So life groups give us a place to be known by each other and to know each other, to share life together, to speak truth to each other. And then life groups are a place to seek truth as a community. Right now, our life groups are on a summer break, but in the fall when we highlight groups, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't say, join a group, join a group, because God wants something from you. I invite you, join a group, because God wants something for you. He wants you to be able to experience truth in the context of community. And that's where we're going for the next eight weeks. Eight weeks together of getting our bury on of seeking truth with humility, because that's such a key marker for Jesus' followers. The goal of this is not to have the truth by the end of it. 
The goal of this is to humbly seek truth together so that we could put our lives on a foundation of what God actually says about himself and experience all that God has for us. So we're going to seek truth in humility. And I want to invite you, we're going to need to be humble because there's going to be at least one week in here for almost everyone, and I don't know which week it will be for you, but one week for almost everyone where, where something will come up on the screen and you'll think, no, that's totally true. And you're going to be tempted, as am I, to say, no, they're wrong, I'm right. And this is where humility comes in. If you could remember this phrase, I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. It'll create space for us to actually encounter God. So we're going to search the whole Bible to see what he says on various topics. And we're going to do it in community. We're going to invite God to lead us together as we encounter him. And it's going to be so good. And it's going to be so fun. And I can't wait. I can't wait. In this series, we're going to have at least four different voices communicating at different times. We're going to have four of our pastoral teams sharing somewhere in this series. I can't wait to hear the voices of our pastoral team as they share with us together. I can't wait to learn from the people who I partner with in ministry, and I know the same is true for you guys. So get ready. It's going to be so fun. And I want to leave you, especially if you're brand new to Christianity, brand new to the church, I want to leave you with something God did actually say. And we find it in a letter called Colossians. And here's what it says. It says, at one time, you and I, we were alienated from God. We were actually enemies of God in our own minds because of our evil behavior. And what the author is saying is that there's this thing called sin that permeates the world. It has infected and affected everything, including us. It's the things that we think and say and do that that hurt us, that hurt those closest to us, and ultimately that separate us from God. It says we were alienated from God because of our sin. And the problem with sin is we can't fix it on our own. That's why you've laid in bed before and you've thought to yourself, I'm never going to do that again or say that again. Never going to yell at the kids again. Never going to look at that again or drink it again or smoke it again. Never again. And then a week later or a month later or a year later, you were you were looking at it, drinking it, smoking it, yelling at them, doing it, and you thought to yourself, why can't I stop? The Bible says that's because sin has infected and affected everything. Not only has it hurt us and hurt our relationships, but it has alienated us, separated us from God. Verse 22 says, but here's the good news. But Christ, but God has reconciled you. That means restored us back together, brought us back into a relationship with God by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What the author of Colossians is reminding us of is the thing that we celebrated at communion, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life to show us what it looks like to live with God and that he freely gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was nailed to the cross and he died. And if that was the end of the story, that would be a tragic story. But it's not the end. Jesus actually rose from the dead three days later, and in rising from the dead, he conquered death, and he broke the power of sin once and forever. And we were once alienated from God, but now we're brought back together with him to experience life in God's family, to experience freedom. And I'm telling you this 4th of July weekend, as we're looking at the freedom that we experience, the greatest freedom you could ever have is freedom that you find in a relationship with Christ, where he frees you from your sin, he forgives you of your destructive patterns, he walks with you in this life. 
That's what God did for us. And every other freedom that we experience is an outpouring of the freedom that God wants to give to you. And if you're here and you've never experienced that freedom, you've never entered into a personal relationship with God where you had that transition happen from Colossians, you moved from enemy of God to be restored to God, then I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to give you a chance to do that, to enter into a relationship with him, to accept his forgiveness, to begin the journey of following him with your life. And if you're ready to make that decision, when we pray, I'm just going to ask you to repeat a simple prayer after me. It's not a magic spell. It's no magic words. It's just a way for you to to vocalize what's going on inside your life in that moment where you would just say to God, God, I want I want back in. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to experience your forgiveness, your healing, and I want to follow you. And if that's you, when the time comes, I'll just invite you to pray with me. But right now, I want to pray for all of us as we start this journey. So would you just join me? Would you close your eyes? And I want to pray for us. Lord, I'm really looking forward to this series. I'm excited to take this journey with so many of my friends. I would ask God that you would continue to form in us the mind and the heart that this Berean church had. We love you, God. We love following you. We love walking with you. And this is is one of the most loving, accepting, humble groups of people I've ever had the privilege of being a part of. And so, God, I would just ask that as we continue to take this journey, you would continue to shape in us an eagerness to know you, a humility in the journey, and a strong sense of community as we seek after the truth that can transform our lives. Would you guide us this summer as we continue to partner with you? And as we continue to pray, if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start that journey with him, you can repeat these simple words after me. You can whisper them where you're sitting. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And because you love me, you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to walk in relationship with you. So would you come into my life, Lord? And would you forgive me of my sin? And would you show me what it looks like to follow you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.